0: Uh, thank you so much, and, and thank you everyone for participating today. Uh, there's a lot going on in this area of digital accessibility, and I asked the, I asked the BBA before this, call, or this webinar to really get a sense of who was going to be on the call, and what I learned from that is that the people that are on the call are, come from a, a range of experiences. Some folks on the call I know pretty well, and I know that you have a lot of experience and a very high-level knowledge of this area. And then there are others that I don't necessarily have that sense or I I, they may not know too much about it. And so the way that I'm hoping to to structure this is to first provide a a basic introduction to the topic. It's gonna be relatively short because I think there are more people in the the room who know about the topic generally. So we're gonna keep that relatively short. And then I really wanna jump into some of the things that I'm hearing on the ground in terms of, what institutions are struggling with, what institutions are doing well, It's it's a really fascinating time period because while I have been giving many institutions legal advice for the past two or three years on this topic, my experience now is is just as much informed as my the fact that I'm a teacher. And so I am teaching and trying to use a lot of this this accessibility, the accessibility tools that we'll talk about as an adjunct faculty member at a local institution. And so I'm gonna try to share as much as I can from both of those perspectives, the perspective of an attorney who be giving you advice on where the liabilities may lie and what challenges may exist but also the sense of what what your users may be experiencing when you send them certain messages or what their struggles may be or their challenges may be and bringing their own classroom content on online and as some of you may have, have heard there was a NACUA briefing on this topic last week and in that NACUA briefing Kathleen Santora shared that myself and another attorney from Washington, D.C., had the opportunity to speak with Ken Marcus, who is the head of OCR, about digital accessibility last week and try to get some questions answered. I'll try to pepper that in as much as I can. Uh, The bottom line of that call was that while OCR is, is understanding, they are not given any assurances of what will or will not count for accessibility purposes. And so it wasn't a very helpful call. A more helpful call that I've had with OCR in particular, and for those who may not know, this is the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, which is the federal agency that that polices disability-based discrimination, which is what you may run into with accessibility challenges on your websites. But OCR has been giving, while while Ken Marcus has not been very helpful in terms of leadership and assurances for, for OCR, he hasn't been bad, but he just didn't give very many assurances. Local staff in different OCR regional offices have been very understanding of the challenges that institutions are facing. They've commonly been providing more time or been been empathetic to the situation that universities find themselves in. And so I think that is all very good news. And I will try to share as much of that as I can as we go. The final point before I I share my screen and turn on the presentation for you is is just the way that I've structured this in terms of time. I I certainly want to, and I guess I mean time in two different ways. I want to leave in terms of the time we're in right now, I want to leave time at the end for questions. So I'll probably try to wrap this up by 1245 or so, so I can answer some of those questions. So please feel free to use the Q&A box. I'll answer them as I go if I can, and if not, I'll save them for the end. And then the other mean way I mean time is in terms of what your institutional life is right now. The structure of the presentation is going to be that basic introduction first but then I'm going to talk about triage and about the the immediacy of now and so what are you doing now on the ground what are your staff members your faculty your employees doing now in terms of accessing things digitally and then once that passes once that time period passes there is kind of this midterm period where you can still do things you can still make improvements to your online environment while working from home and as I'll share that's this is custom built for home working This presentation is from home. All of us are probably working from home. There's a lot that can be done to to improve your websites and your digital environments in that regard. And then the final few points are going to be longer term thinking. Uh, And this was was more of the traditional advice I was giving before the pandemic. And I think it's still good advice if you can get through your short term and you can get through your midterm goals. This is also an optimal time to start thinking long-term about your institution and about the different means by which you can make things accessible to individuals. All right, let me share my screen with you so we can get started with that presentation. And these presentation materials will be available um, through the BBA. All right. So the first slide, if I can make it work here. thing that we need to address is why we're here and why you're you're doing the things you're doing now to To try to figure out what you're going to do in the digital space Digital accessibility was already a challenge before the, the recent health issues that have arisen and It's going to remain a challenge moving forward. The only difference is we've put incredible stress on that system we've pushed as institutions have pushed a huge amount of content out to remote access in two to three weeks that's not just, I'm going to focus on things for students and faculty and staff in this, but it really is more extensive than that. We Institutions have moved much of their workforce to home. And so now there are also other things that are taking place remotely and digitally as well, whether it's administrative tasks or faculty meetings or staff meetings or things that we would normally be together for, we're doing digitally. And so it's important to make sure that we're thinking broadly about it. Yes, the focus will be about students and, and content pushed out online, more recently, but I also want you thinking of how are your employees doing the work that they're doing now? Do they have any accessibility concerns or any challenges? In addition to the huge amount of content and tasks that we've moved online, we also have one of the same problems we had prior to the pandemic, which is the content creators don't necessarily have the training or the understanding or the expertise to ensure accessibility. And and I want to focus on the word content creators there because That's a very broad definition. That broad definition started with OCR cases a few years ago in which OCR defined content creators as pretty much anyone at the institution who was putting anything online. So not just the people that create your websites, but also the faculty members that load materials, the athletic departments that may load game highlights. Everyone was a content creator under those early OCR cases. And while OCR has moved away from that definition, I still think it's a healthy definition for us to use in this context because your digital space is gigantic and there are people that are putting content up all over the place and it's impossible for many institutions to monitor all that. And so the best tool is to really help the creators, those people who are putting materials online, using your online resources, help them understand what accessibility means. As of now, many of them do not, and they're the people that are tasked with uploading this content. So in a perfect world, that wouldn't be the way it is, but that is the way we're, we're thinking of this now. Finally, I want to just focus on the fact that while we're doing everything we can to get to make sure courses and classroom activities are ongoing so that that can happen, there's a lot that's coming up in the next few weeks. There's graduations, there's end-of-year ceremonies, there's dissertation defenses at some institutions, uh, there's Title IX sexual misconduct investigations that are happening remotely, and if you look on either the Chronicle or Inside Higher Ed or in many of those places, those are the conversations that are happening now. What is What does a Title IX sexual misconduct investigation look like in the digital universe? What does it look like if you're doing portions of your interviews by Zoom and portions in per per person? What will graduation look like? A lot of these things are challenges that many of you may be thinking about now. So I wanna spend a fair bit of time talking about those things and the different problems or challenges that people have provided, given to me in the last few days. Just for background, for those folks who don't necessarily have a great sense of what we're talking about here. This is, digital accessibility is really just the means by which an individual with a disability can access your online materials. The challenge of that is that because of the laws and the way the laws are written, that can apply to students internally, it also can apply to external viewers. For today, we're gonna focus on the internal people that that you already know about in your institution, although the external people are still a big issue down the road. But when we're thinking about what digital accessibility means, we're really talking about how easily an individual can access the different components of your digital environment. So that may be websites, it may be your learning management system, a system like Canvas, it may be your content management system. But all of those things are the way that we send digital information out into into the universe. And the things that we're talking about, the things that we're looking at are really how do you navigate a website? How do you read a website most people do not read a website from the top left corner to the bottom right corner read every word they they navigate to exactly where they want to go and that makes it much more efficient for individuals individuals with site for example to be able to determine okay well, i want to look at this aspect of this website i don't want to look at the whole thing but if the navigation and the readability and the architecture of the website aren't set up appropriately you're really making it much more difficult if not impossible for an individual to be able to access that information in in an effective way. We're talking about things like the use of color and and I highlight a few different images on this page just to show you what I'm talking about with that, but contrast is a big deal and it's a big deal because while your marketing teams may like the light purple on dark purple or the light blue on dark blue, for marketing purposes it looks sleek, it looks nice, It can create a real challenge to individuals who don't have sight or who have other disabilities that may minimize their their, their ability to, to see contrasting colors. The great thing about so many of these different things that I'm highlighting on this page is that there are standards out there. So, for example, one of the images that you see is this good example, contrast ratio, bad example. That's exactly what it sounds like. It's how you determine whether contrast is good or not good, whether it's effective or not effective. That's a chart that's taken from WebAIM, which is a group that's out there that provides this. And this is just a snippet, so it may be not as clear as it could be, but if you actually look at the WebAIM resource, you'll see that it's really about the contrast ratio between the colors. Uh, Making sure that hyperlinks and and other tools that you put online are also accessible. Uh, We're gonna speak in a moment about the way that individuals with disabilities may access this information. And they access it many times through machines. And machines need to understand what is this picture. The machine learning is not smart enough to do it by itself. And so oftentimes it's about filling in the content in a way that a screen reader can can read it through all text or some other means. And finally, the big thing that provides the most challenge, I'd say, to many institutions is putting video, audio, or other dynamic content online because many of it, much of that content does have accessibility tools that you can work with, but some of it does not. And so schools that are dealing with really challenging problems right now are the schools that have, for example, uh, film classes or classes in which they are analyzing and looking at movies which may not have easily accessible captioning already completed. Uh, Movies like Casablanca or Citizen Kane or any movies like that probably have an accessible, affordable alternative. But if you're looking at watching a really obscure film or looking at something that really is is not easily translatable, that's where the harder questions come out in terms of what do you do with that? Do you try to remediate it? Do you try to provide the captioning? At what cost? And, and now, really, how quickly can that be done? I mentioned that all of those things on the prior slide, the architecture, the organization, the the content is is so important because without that content, without that that structure in place, it makes it really hard for the tools that are out there to work effectively. On this this screen, on this page, you'll see that there's a few examples on the right-hand side of all these different services that institutions purchase. JAWS is probably the most well-known, which is a screen reader type device, but there's Zoom text, there's all these things that, that you can access. But most of them, they work with the, with the code in, or the language that's in your website. So if that's not there, many of these things don't work. One example that a student provided to me recently was: this is a student who is who does have visual limitations, and he shared with me the, the way that you put page breaks in some content that a screen reader may read. With those page breaks the screen reader can read it the screen reader can pause the screen reader can do all the things that it needs to do with the hard returns to format it but without those things without the the punctuation the hard returns without those things that tell the machine hey hold on a second the sentence ended the screen reader reads it as one big run-on sentence so i want you to imagine that imagine that you have to read the dullest contract that you have to read for work or you have to review some manual or policy or something that really is not drawing your attention and now imagine that you can't even fly through it with your eyesight or your, or some other sense, but you have to read it as one gigantic run on sentence. That's the situation that many individuals with disabilities have. And so that's why it's so critical to make sure that if you are putting materials into a digital format that you're making it accessible for those tools to actually work. Another factor that I may have omitted in the prior screen is is accessibility with the keyboard. That's a a thing that OCR has been looking at very carefully and a lot of advocacy groups are focused on because so many of the things we do are things that we do because we can see a link on a page or because we can navigate to the part of the page and use our mouse to, to access it. And what I commonly tell audiences in this regard is try that as just an exercise Try putting your mouse aside for a few minutes, just so you can see, how would you, av- how would you navigate Microsoft Word? How would you navigate that document? And you'll see if you're like me, that it's really, really hard because we are so dependent on our mouses. I have a gigantic mouse that I bring with me and I use even when I'm on the road. I'm lost without it. So when I do need to move to keyboard navigation, it's really critical that the architecture of the site is set up well so that it can access the things that it needs to access. Again, just for the, for the folks who are just coming up to speed on this area of law, there are some statutes on point. There's Title II and Title III of the ADA. That applies, Title II applies if you're a public institution, Title III applies if you're a private institution. Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act also applies in this context, although none of those laws specifically talk about the requirements for what a digital environment needs to look like those requirements come from a different place. Those requirements come from this thing called the WCAG, which the World Wide Web Consortium puts up. And it's a really great tool. And so I encourage you either now or after this presentation to navigate over there and look at the WCAG standards, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. We are on version 2.1 right now. And you'll see there's three different levels, level A, AA, and AAA. The level that the federal government holds the institutions to is level AA. So that means you should be doing everything that's in level A, which is the most basic, to level AA to be compliant with Section 504 or the ADA through the eyes of the government. The AAA level is really the gold standard. That's where you know that's where the community thinks this is the best you can do in terms of accessibility. And so if you can access it in that, if you can provide AAA um, compliance that's even better, but you'll see when you look at the standards, that gets more challenging, that gets more expensive perhaps for some of these things, and so that's where a lot of institutions are focused on the AA standard. There is a difference between WCAG 2.0 and WCAG 2.1, and a lot of it has to do with mobile devices and these things called pointer gestures or the ways that we access information on our phones, and so again, just think of the way we access information on our phones. We don't just look at it and have the information there. We do things like we pinch it to expand or we swipe things to find where we're trying to go. All of those types of gestures have YCAG standards written around them. And so it's important to understand what what are we looking at when we talk about digital accessibility? It's not just the things on our screen in front of us. It may be the things on our mobile devices. It may be the things that we're looking at on tablets or digesting in some other format. A common misconception or a common thing I hear is Section 508 and how that applies to this area of law and it does, it does have some value in the sense that they've, the federal government talked more about accessibility in Section 508 than it did in other contexts, but that was primarily a tool to make sure that web, federal government websites were accessible. And so it's helpful, but it's not the standard that I think you should be relying on. And when we talk about procurement in a few moments, procurement and the agreements, the accessibility standards that you're writing into contracts right now, it's really important to understand that distinction. In the past, inst- vendors and institutions would enter agreements and I've been looking at a lot of these agreements the past few years and I'd say three or four years ago, there, there may not have been an accessibility stand- section. And rel- once the lawsuit started and the OCR review started, the accessibility standards started being built in but they were pretty minimal. Basically a vendor was promising you're going to have accessibility. And we promised you accessibility, but with no definition of what that looked like. And then at some point, some vendors started saying, we are section 508 accessible. I'll talk more about that when we get to procurement, but really that statement, you are section 508 accessible means very little to me. And it should mean very little to you. You really should be tying your vendors to that WCAG standard because that's really where you'll have some teeth to do something and to, to be able to get some remedy if, you, if your site isn't working or your technology isn't working. In Massachusetts, we also have strong anti-discrimination laws in the disability context. I just used two examples here. And in the past, that was a place where the Attorney General has been pretty aggressive in terms of litigating to make sure e-book readers were accessible. They haven't been as aggressive recently, but that may come to pass in the future. It's just not clear right now. So just pay attention to the state law as well as the federal laws. And one of the final slides for the more basic or the more kind of um, one one aspect of this is what are we talking about when we even talk about accessibility? What does accessibility even mean? I always use this, this visual with my students just to share with them. We're not talking about pure quality because pure quality might leave some people behind. Instead, it's the picture on uh, the left or my, my right that talks about what we're really talking about here. Is so what sort of accommodations do we need To make sure that everyone can watch the game, so everyone can see at the same level. So that might mean different things for different people and for different disabilities. The big challenge here is that under Title II, under Section 504, a lot of the discussion about accessibility is focused on individuals that you might know about. Individuals in your classroom who have asked for accommodations, employees who have asked for accommodations. So you can really tailor what accessibility means for that individual and for that disability under Title III and under other laws that that have basically said, no, accessibility means anyone should be able to access this. Now we're talking about the world at large, and you might not understand or know what their disability is or how their disability presents. So that adds another challenge on top of it. If you're producing content that is going out to the world, what does accessibility mean for that? We won't have time to dig into all of that, and, and oftentimes it is a very individualized discussion about the technology or the content and where it's going, so I, I can't give you a clear answer of that, but I can give you, this is the, de- the definition. This is the definition that the federal government adopted in many of the, the reviews that it's undertaken the past two years. Accessible means that individuals with disabilities are able to independently acquire the same information, engage in the same interactions, and enjoy the same services within the same timeframe as individuals without disabilities with substantially equivalent ease of use. That's important because what is that definition doing? That definition is providing time standards for you. It can't be that individuals without disabilities have access to the video today, and an individual with a disability has access to it in four weeks. It's creating the sense of, well, how do they access it? It can't be that individuals with disabilities have to take 15 extra steps. They should have equivalent ease of access in how they're looking at it. So as helpful as that definition is in terms of giving us the big picture, it's often not helpful until you really drill down on what is the content in question, who's using it, how are they using it, on what platform are they using it? So those are the common questions that I'm asking clients and individuals when they come to me with their their questions about accessibility. Hold on one second. So that's all the background. But now we have to deal with what we have, have on the ground and what we have on the ground is very challenging. Like I mentioned, there's been a lot of articles about this topic relatively recently and, and just today Inside Higher Ed or yesterday Inside Higher Ed pushed out an article that talked about when will this end? And if this doesn't end, will we be talking about moving course content over the summer and more importantly into the fall online as well? The article was relatively complimentary of institutions and how quickly it's turned so much of its, of its work or its, its, its value online into remote education. But the questions are going to really start arising, okay, well now we've got a new semester coming up. What do we do now? And I think that's a great question to ask. It's a great question to ask now. It's a great question to have a conversation with your, your general counsel, your IT departments, your accessibility services teams, and even your, your leadership to figure out what is that going to look like. But that's not the only question you're dealing with now. Right now, I suggest you should deal with the immediate challenges first. And and here are just some examples of what those immediate challenges are. The first is making sure your course content can be delivered at all. Most institutions luckily had access to a lot of good learning management systems, Canvas and Blackboard being the two primary ones. And they have a lot of accessibility content built into them. And so people are able to access things and faculty members are able to push things out in an accessible format. But it still depends on those individuals understanding how to use the technology. I work with these things all the time, these different remote services and these different pieces of technology all the time. And I still have struggles. Before today's call, I was working with the BBA to make sure that we could start on time because I was moving between, between two computers. So I think that I'm a, a, you know, a relatively good user, a relatively informed user, and even I have struggles. So if your faculty or people that you work with have been pushing away technology for years, you can expect that they'll have struggles here too, making sure they understand what the environment looks like, making sure they understand how to do the basics to push their courses or to push their work product online in, through any service that you're using. A really good tool to make sure they understand is that a lot of these tools already have accessibility guides or, or functions built into them. Places like Zoom and Canvas have actually helpful resources. They have helpful websites and helpful videos that, that relate to those websites where they'll talk about how, how do you make Zoom accessible? How do you provide different tools that Zoom has to individuals? How do you provide captions? How do you provide the different built-in accessibility components that they have? Basic Office document tools like Microsoft Office or, or, or Adobe also have those things in there. You just need to check to understand where they are and how to look at them. And so. That's an area where I'm seeing a lot of challenges because people on the ground don't understand those tools other than their basic word processing feature. And, and now's maybe a good time to give them a better sense of what accessibility tools are already built in. Make sure there's clear conversation or coordination between accessibility services and the individuals you know need accommodations. That may be accessibility student services for students, for faculty or staff or employees. It may be human resources but make sure on the first cut, you know what accommodations individuals already have and are they relevant now. So there may be some aspect of these accommodation plans that are not relevant anymore because they were built for the physical world. For example, physical accessibility requirements. That may not matter so much anymore if they had a physical accommodation because now hopefully the employee is working from home and they have the accommodations they need. The student is in their home environment and they have the accommodations they need. But if there are other accommodations that are provided that could translate to the digital world, now is a good time to figure out what those are and figure out how are you providing them. Making sure that people understand that you're there to support them, I feel has been from the the non-lawyer, the the, the person working in institution side of things, making sure that, that you know that you are recognized, you know that people are looking out for you and your accessibility challenges has been a really important message for me to hear during this. Uh, The schools that I work at have been sending out messages to large groups of people that say, hey, if you have an accessibility issue, even without a disability, let us know. Or if you're you're struggling with a piece of technology, here's a helpful video, and let's have an online lunch hour to talk about how to better use it. Those are really helpful things to think about in terms of making sure that both your faculty and your employees and your students are comfortable with this technology. In my experience the students are already pretty tech, pretty comfortable with it and so maybe they need a tweak or two but they're they're pretty good with it because they've grown up with this technology but many of us are not and so making sure that everyone is captured in that is really important and that leads to the final point making sure people can report challenges quickly and highlight the importance of reporting this is not a situation i feel that you don't wanna know about the challenge. I mean, you wanna know what the challenge is so that you can work around it. So if an employee is struggling with a, an online tool that they have to work in, it's better to know now so you can create a workaround than three months from now when the work hasn't been done, or there's, a, there's something else that arises that say, hey, why wasn't this happening? Oh, my tool wasn't accessible. You wanna know that now so you can fix it. And you also wanna know these things now because that can help cut off reports to the government later. I mean, if a student is struggling now, it's better to understand that and try to address it with them, then making them feel hopeless. And then they go to OCR or the Department of Justice and you have to deal with it through that compliance perspective. That's always a lot more challenging. Another really important thing is to focus on building content that can be viewed by individuals to assist. And that's kind of covered in the prior section, but I found that that's been another real helpful resource in the institutions I work at and with because it just gives people a very straightforward sense of This is a challenge, but here's a very easy way to access it. I'll I'll share an example. Just like everyone else, I had to move my class to an online environment through Canvas last week, and I had to figure out how do I create a Zoom conference, my students could join and I could still access and still have all the the, the technology I needed to give the course remotely. I was worried about it for hours and hours, and then I clicked on Zoom and I watched a four minute video. And not only did it fix the problem and help me learn how to do it, but it made me feel so much better. So making sure individuals have that content. Again, Zoom, Canvas, Office, Adobe, a lot of them have that video content. A lot of institutions have been doing a great job of building that content themselves, but making sure it's there, it's in a place that people can access, can go a long way to making people feel better about these things. Creating clear standards and communication that's helpful. This can be daunting for a lot of people. And so the example that I provide here is, are messages that I've received from different institutions. The first is caption all video content. That is scary. That's scary if you are, especially if you're a media or marketing person where all you're doing is video content. How do you do all that? How do you make that happen? Versus, did you know there's an easy way to do this? There's a way to auto caption. There's a tool built in there. That makes it a lot more accessible to me. I mean, this is a big challenge for everyone. But if you can communicate it well, you can help people understand that this is something that they can do, they can play a part in. And I found that that's very effective and people wanna do it once they know that it's it's achievable. It's when you make it seem such a big problem that they can't get their arms around it. That's where I experience people shutting down and, and refusing to even try to make things accessible. I think it's really important to make sure that you have a team that's dedicated to online accessibility issues. It may not be a team at some institutions there is the ability to dedicate a team of, of one or several people that can focus on these things. But in other institutions, it's not possible. There may be one or two people. So for those institutions, making sure there's an hour or two hours a day in which these challenges can be focused upon. Because otherwise our IT professionals are being pulled in a lot of different directions right now by leadership, by students, by users. And this is an area that I think deserves some focus and some heightened protection just to make sure it gets addressed. And then the final thing that I suggest would be really helpful and I've felt really helped by is there's so much information coming in right now. There's so much information coming in from various deans at institutions, various teaching support centers at institutions, students are having questions and challenges. The great things that one of my institutions did and the institution I work at did was they created a resource landing page. So I know that I don't need to follow and track every one of those emails. I really just need to get to that resource landing page every day see if there's a new tool for me and then go back there when I need to access the things I need to access. I think the procurement processes really remain critical. This was something that I felt strongly about before the, the current situation and I feel, still feel is very important to think about. Basically making sure that the tools you're buying are accessible and if they're not accessible, that they have that you have the ability as an institution to make them accessible with the vendor or indi- independently. Prior to this, prior to all the, the challenges we're dealing with now, I thought procurement process were important because we need to make sure that the long-term and even the short-term contracts that we enter into as an institution have the things we want to have in them. Now it's just as important, the only difference now is that sometimes we're rushing into contracts and agreements more quickly to remediate an emergency. So we're trying, we're buying tools that we feel are needed for accessibility, and oftentimes they are, but we need them now. And so we're not necessarily looking at the agreements as closely. We're not negotiating as as aggressively because the feeling is that this just has to happen. I think taking the time, consulting with your general counsel staff, making sure that the, the contract or the agreement has an effective accessibility clause in there is crucial now just like it always is. Make sure you can test the equipment. Make sure if, if your institution wants a VPAT or a voluntary product accessibility template, they're able to get that and access it. Some vendors already have that up. For example, Instructure, which is the company that owns Canvas, already posted their VPAT. So you can check and see, does it satisfy our criteria as an institution for accessibility? But even beyond that, making sure that you have a clear tool to get the vendor to give you the compliance, that you the, the tools that you need to provide access. So again, I mentioned at the beginning, a general promise of accessibility is not good enough, in my view. A general promise of this will satisfy Section 508 is not good enough because it doesn't give you the tools to push back on that vendor and say, well, no, this is explicitly what we want to happen. YCAG 2.1 Level AA does provide you those tools. As you'll see, if you go there, it's a dynamic tool where you can look at the different components of accessibility and you can say, this is exactly how we want to do this. Here's a success criteria here's a way that's not helpful to do this and you can really push your vendors to say vendor we would like you to do this i've shared this with many of you in in prior presentations but the worst case scenario is a situation in which you have purchased an expensive technology tool or extensive too expensive tool you did not get an appropriate accessibility clause in there so you can push back and then if you look further in the contract You see that there's also an intellectual property tool that that limits your ability as an institution to change the tool. So now you've purchased this really expensive tool, it doesn't have the accessibility components you want built in, and you can't even change it to fix it. So those are situations in which there's already going to have to be a workaround to make sure that that that, that it can be used, or else it goes right on the shelf and it can't be used. So I think that procurement processes remain absolutely critical. Pay attention to them. Make sure your general counsel see those agreements and, and get everything that you can possibly get into those even though, even if they are being negotiated relatively quickly right now. One more point about this. You may be looking at a tool or something that doesn't have an online, a clear online component. That's okay. It still may have a digital accessibility component. If there are mobile apps related to the tool, if there's any online asp- aspect of it or cloud reporting aspect of it, there may be some need for accessibility. So I just, again, think broadly in terms of the things you're buying. If it's a technology tool, certainly make sure that it has some appropriate language built in. And if it's not a technology tool, make sure that there's no technology components that you're getting with it that you should be thinking of. Now we're turning to the special challenges, the things that have been arising because of the recent health issues. Right now, the question at the top that's bold is really the question that I'm thinking about a lot and getting a lot. I feel like everyone is being so nice right now. My students are being nice to me. My colleagues are being nice to me. Even opposing counsel are being nice because we're in this circumstance. But that's going to end. And at a certain point, people will go back to business. They'll go back to their demands. They'll go back to demanding things that they feel they're owed or or just the normal course. And, And that's okay. But I think that that may happen in this area sooner than later. Right now with my students, for example, everyone is just testing out the technology. We're getting used to a formally in-person class that is now online, and, and it's working well. But pretty soon, assessments are going to start happening. Coursework is going to start being due. Uh, students have already asked for extensions, and I've been given the, the ability by my institution to grant many of those extensions, but at a certain point, I won't be able to. And so I think that is when this period of understanding may, may end, and people may be pushing back and, and, and raising other claims about the accessibility of a tool or accessible, the accessibility of a practice. And so. Just anticipate that's coming. The last point on this slide is the most important. Thinking ahead on any of these things is, is the crucial step. I've been getting a lot of questions, and I think it's important to focus on classes that are not easily moved to the online or the remote remote environment. The ones that I've heard the most about are the classes that have laboratory components and the things that have the creative art component to it, where you're looking at a sculpture in person. You're touching something. There's a tactile aspect of it. Um, I mentioned the film example already. I'm hearing that the music musicality is also one of those things where sometimes it can be conveyed digitally, but that's where I'm hearing more challenges and real questions Well, can we do this or not? The two defenses to a disability claim are typically that something is either an undue burden for the entire institution. Remember, that's not an undue burden for an individual. It's not just because you make one individual have to do something they don't feel they have to do, but as an institution, is this going to be an undue burden is still one defense you can use if they're if building something excessively is, is is too challenging or too expensive but i would suggest using it in a very limited fashion because the standard is very high and then the other one that still applies is whether something is a fundamental alteration of the program again that's going to focus more on specific accommodation requests but just thinking ahead to those what could it look like what can you not give up about a specific program? What could you give up about a specific program is important. The biggest area that I'm hearing about is what do we do about special events that are coming up, and graduation is clearly the biggest of those. The answer is really specific to each institution I talk about, talk with, but thinking through what aspects of that graduation ceremony are going to be digital, and what are necessary to the other students is really important. What is necessary for the the viewer to to have to get a a handle on is really important. So there may be aspects of that graduation ceremony that are more decorative and that you don't need to focus on as much. But then there are gonna be aspects of it that I'd suggest you do need to focus on. And the biggest area there is probably graduation speakers. If you're having graduation speakers remotely now, I'd suggest you need to get their remarks in advance so you can prepare captions or you can prepare some sort of tool to either have it translated or, or um, interpreted in a way that's appropriate for all of your participants. And remember, you have to think broadly because the ADA reaches beyond just your students and so it also reaches to visitors. And I've had OCR cases involving visitors to camp- campus, grandparents, parents who wanna be able to access a, an athletic event or to be able to watch a graduation and hear the speaker and they can't do so because of their disability. So that is an area where I'd suggest that Thinking broadly is important. Uh, A lot of institutions are putting historical information online and videos online, just because the sports seasons are closed. And so they're putting championship games, they're putting prior highlight reels online. Those are all things that are video content and do have a certain accessibility standard. If it's not critical, if it's not mandatory, or if it's not a huge part of the, the, the school experience, then that might move a little bit further back in the priority timeline. But if it is something that is critical like a graduation or like coursework or like something that individuals need to have access to then that should be accessible now. Another area to think about is how you're communicating challenges to your campus or your community. Uh, the biggest example of these is COVID-19 updates. So my institutions that, been, that I work with and teach at have been sending me updates in terms of what the institutional response to COVID is It's really important to make sure that those are accessible, to make sure that those are formatted. If there's a video, to make sure it's understandable and captioned so that everyone can get access to that information. It's no different than the physical threat alerts we would send out when students were on campus. After that, though, that's more of the short-term work. And, And after that, I'd suggest now we have the ability to have some alone time at home to think about this problem. And it is a big problem. And the biggest challenge I had when we were in the normal time we were thinking about this is getting appropriate attention paid to this issue and getting appropriate resources paid to this issue. Now some of you may have the ability to focus on this issue and if you're focusing on it now I'd focus on the midterm. So after you get those triage efforts out of the way now focus on what can we do moving forward to make this better. That's where I'd suggest things that you could focus on our specific remediation efforts. Uh, developing policies. These policies do not need to be long. Some institutions have longer policies and that's fine, but they can also be shorter as long as they're promising exactly what accessibility should look like. If you're referencing a standard, that's always helpful. So again, WCAG 2.1 level AA is a standard many have chosen. Some have chosen the 2.0 standard. I'm not sure if that's the cutting edge anymore. I know it's not, but institutions have made that decision for specific reasons and I understand that. The bigger thing that I would suggest doing now, if you could, in addition to remediating any pages that you can remediate on your own, is building technical practice manuals for people. And, and here's why. When I work with institutions, I sometimes will draft different technical manuals for different groups. The group, the manual that you would provide to an IT specialist, the person who's writing the code, or even a marketing team, who's designing the, the color coordination or the different s- schemes of your website, those are different. Those are more technical than anything I would ever send to a faculty member, and, and that might even be different from what I'd send to an employee. And so, those three are three examples of internal policies or internal manuals that you can be working on now in terms of what does accessibility look like for this portion of your population. And finally, some institutions are even providing technical, uh, more technical mater- materials for their students. So here, as a student, is what you can do to access this. Here is how you can. You can create accessible content if you're creating content so i guess that would add a fourth group that you can think about all right how do we provide not necessarily policy level but practical tools and practical materials for our our individuals on our campus the great news here is that so many institutions have done a great job with this so many institutions have taken this seriously and maybe they haven't done everything for everyone but maybe they've done a really great job on their employee manual. Maybe they've done a really great job on their website resources. Using those, reaching out to general counsel now, the greatest thing that i found in the past few weeks is our people are relatively reachable. Maybe not when you wanna speak with them because they have childcare or other obligations, but you can usually get to people. And so now's a great time to connect with some of your colleagues, see what they're doing and seeing if there's any way that you can work together to create resources, to create tools for your, your communities. The biggest thing that is a challenge in the long term for these, these questions is understanding the scope of the problem on your campus. I can't tell you how many institutions I've visited in the past three years who, when I asked what their, their website was, they listed the institution.edu, and that was it. As I've learned with many of those institutions, your, access, your, your digital environment is so much bigger than that, and oftentimes you don't even know how big it is. And so now's a good time to start taking taking stock of that and get a sense of what do we have for internet resources? What do we have for intranet resources? Where, where are we going in terms of our different schools, our different programs? What do we have for those different programs? A lot of those things are still, most of those things are still the institution's obligation. So understanding that they're really broad, they're, that this is a very big area that we're focused on is important. Another challenge is that a lot of the, the, the websites that you may be held to account on aren't even yours. So uh, at the very beginning of the OCR cases, they were really asking for accessibility on Facebook postings, on YouTube postings, on Instagram postings, any place like that. And the institutions were often pushing back and saying, hey, we don't control that. We can't control the functionality of a third party tool that maybe our employees use. The federal government really didn't care too much about that. There is a significant assistance clause built into the regulations and there's all sorts of other connections if if there's that problem. And so that's another challenge is understanding, you know, what are your third party vendors that are creating your websites? The big area here are athletic websites for most institutions because almost every institution I work with at the division one, two and three level have a website that's pulled together by either Presto or Sidearm Sports. Those are the two main vendors and all of them have accessibility challenges. OCR has been doing their role, their reviews consistently since last year and a half, and almost every institution has a problem with Presto or Sidearm. They can be fixed, and they can be fixed relatively easy, easily, but at the same time, you need to make that request, you need to ask for that. But there are other external vendors that are doing your websites for you, creating your websites for you, so now might be a good time to take stock of all of these different things, and I just provided some examples here. If you do get to this point, here is where, this is the old stuff. This is the stuff that I've been talking to institutions about for a year or two. Uh, There are materials that NACUA puts forward and there are other materials that I can share if anyone wants to reach out. But this is the long-term thinking. This is now where you have that ability and that time to say, all right, here's the problem. How are we gonna address it as an institution? Where are the resources going to be? This is the more typical traditional digital accessibility strategy work. Um, I've written about it, and I can share those, those, those articles with anyone who's interested in really defining this a little more broadly, but these are generally the tools that I suggest, or the different steps in that strategy that I suggest. And first, making sure you have a policy. A lot of this is going to cut across many different components of the institution. So, it may be your general counsel's office. It will very likely be your, your IT department, and, and it should be your accessibility services or disability services department at the table for sure. But it's also going to impact faculty. So oftentimes there's faculty representation that's needed for some meetings or provost involvement. It may it may overarch into your athletic departments, as I just mentioned, with the challenges in athletic videos. The push in athletics is to provide more and more dynamic content every day. And so if you're trying to do that, if you're on that on that carousel, making sure that it's accessible can be really challenging. But making sure you have those people at the table if you need them again. We know where we can reach those people now. We know we can set up a meeting with them and, and start having those conversations about what does this institution want to do maybe now, definitely in the future. So what are we going to do if the fall comes around and we are still in a quarantine mode? How are we going to develop deliver our services in an accessible format then? What are we going to do in year one, in year two, in year three? Many institutions in this area are doing a great job, either because they, they want to and they have the ability to do it or because they've been challenged either in court or by the federal government. And so again, I think a lot of the structure is built in this matter of just talking with with people about what they're doing or or asking me. And I'm happy to share generally what I see out there. Uh, Making sure that people get professional development opportunities. So you're here today and I'm sure that many of you are here because you really wanna know about digital accessibility, which is commendable. And I'm sure that many of you are here because you just wanna brush up on something you don't know about or because you just need to fill an hour of your day to make sure that you're enhancing your, your knowledge. That's great, however you got here is fine, but this is also a great opportunity to provide a more technical a more institution specific focus for your your teams now and in the future. So I mentioned the institution that I'm working at has done a great job of this. We've had Zoom faculty meetings that I've been invited to as an adjunct. We've had technical meetings where we'll focus on aspects of instruction and how you can do things better. We have focus groups or talks about assessment at the end of the year. So, So that institution I feel is doing a great job in terms of how they're sharing with me the steps that I need to take and how they're involving me in that discussion that's something you can build out now if it if it doesn't get used right away that's okay but if you can use it in the summer or the fall online short videos that people can can view through canvas or through other some through some other source are all great ways that you can provide this information in a really user-friendly way Typically, as part of a strategy, I would say you have to prioritize your efforts and your resources. And that's absolutely true. And again, I prioritize all of the triage things I spoke about earlier in this presentation, but additional prioritization models are the things that are on this slide. So first and foremost, focusing on your students I mentioned here, but also your employees with known disabilities that are facing some additional challenge because of the remote nature of what they're doing now. Focusing on them is really important. I often ask schools to focus on the low hanging fruit and the things that are low hanging fruit in my my view are the the things that just stand out as being inaccessible. Many of the OCR cases that have gone on in the past few years, there have been problems with the web template. So that's basically the template by which most of your pages look relatively consistent. If you wanna know what your template looks like, I suggest going to your homepage for your institution, your financial aid page, those probably look really similar in terms of what's in the footers, what's in the headers, uh, what the visuals are, that's your template. And the great thing about template problems is that if you fix them once, you fix them everywhere. So you fix them wherever that template is pushed out. So that's a place to start thinking about, you know, is there anything in our template that's a challenge? After that, I often suggest to people to look at where their web traffic is going. And again, technology gives you the way to do that. Looking at your analytical reports, seeing what pages people are going onto and then prioritizing those pages. OCR has been focusing on about a dozen pages for institution and the litigation has also been focusing on similar pages. They are the home page, they are the athletics pages, they are the financial aid pages. Those are uh, disability services or accessibility services pages. Those are the pages that most advocates, most interest groups, and most complainants are focusing on and you'll probably see those also correlate with most of your web traffic. So focusing on those pages first. Uh, For your employees, making sure essential intranet functions are are working for them. Uh, Employees and students. I I use the example of course registration systems. If students are going to be registering in the summertime for courses in the fall, if that's going to happen remotely, make sure that's accessible to them. The the second to last bullet point here is just about new modified versus legacy content. And, And just in sum, the problem there is that institutions are great at pushing information out but they're not always great about taking information and archiving it. And that can be really important. I've had institutions where we're working with two of the exact same websites. One is on the old model and one is on the new um, technology tool that they use. Exact same, one is incredibly uh, inaccessible and the other is accessible because it's on the new platform that they're using. Making sure you archive that old one, pull that old one down or or somehow it that it's not functional. Can be helpful because otherwise institutions are really judged on the the holistic nature of their website and what's happening in, in the practical aspect of whether it's accessible or not. Finally, I highlight again procurement goals, taking inventory of what you have. The challenges that are on this last page are really things that I'm sure a lot of folks are familiar with. The bigger institutions are finding that they have bigger problems because they just have more web content. Um, they're also being challenged in court and other places by advocacy agencies that are pushing on them and they don't want a monetary or financial settlement settlement. they want to fix they want to change and so if you have a large website if you have a large mooc there's a lot of um, resources out there and, and cautionary tales of what happens if your information is not accessible and a lot of these larger institutions are also leading the way and so it's it's a challenge that they're facing and in some regards they're facing it well procurement i've i've beaten that one a bit so I won't keep going there. Libraries are also another tough spot because they have databases and search engines that are a bit out of step with the norm oftentimes and they have big big uh, libraries that they're also trying to access or big databases. So focusing on them. Athletics is one that is typically a challenging area but I think now where most of the seasons, all of the seasons are canceled for the spring, you may have a little additional time there so I wouldn't necessarily make it one a priority now but in the midterm or long term it may be. And then finally looking at video interactive or any anything that's that's more dynamic or or a non-dynamic thing like a pdf that you can change those are things that just take time making pdfs accessible takes time captioning video takes time captioning images on a website takes time and many people have time now and so tasking people with making those changes making those updates all of it will pay dividends when when hopefully we move back to a normal a normal operation scheme and, and this stuff is is just there in the background operating for our students and our employees. All right, I went a little longer than I, I, I wanted to, but there's five minutes left. If anyone has any questions, I'd love to try to answer them. And um, feel free to just throw them in. I've got one or two that I can answer uh, right off the bat. So the first question that that was that was posed to me uh, was really about how are different disabilities being addressed? And, and actually another question just came in on the same topic. So how are we thinking about individuals with disabilities that you can't see, the hidden disabilities or in, invisible disabilities? And that's that's a challenge. And so that's really where, from my my legal perspective, I think you have to do the best you can and following the WCAG is often the best you can do to say this is the standard that WCAG and the federal government has also adopted for what accessibility looks like. But, I think it's also a place where, as a faculty member, I have, I've done additional things. And the additional things I've, I've tried to do, because students may not have disability plans, they may not have accommodation plans, faculty or staff may not have shared with you a disability because it didn't impact them until now. And so I'm not targeting or highlighting individuals and saying, hey, what's your deal? But I am making clear to people that if they have any problems with the technology to contact me. If they have any problems or any challenges with that, I'm delivering content either through technology or even just orally that they contact me and let me know I'm asking students you know how the sound quality is how things like that are because I want it to be accessible for them and so I think on the front end asking those questions asking how things are working for people it doesn't have to be coached in disability terms but it should be coached in access terms are you able to access these meeting notes appropriately are you, are you able to access and hear things appropriately? Do you need more technology? Now, that can be challenging in terms of how you deliver that. But my institution that I work with is one that has provided that. If you need an extra monitor, you could, you could find a way to get that from that institution. So I think having those conversations is really important now just to find out what your, what your, your risk is and, and how do you make the best of how you fix it or develop a workaround for people. Another question came in with regard to registration systems and how do you how do you adapt to registration systems and I think this is a good one. Because at several institutions, even institutions that have cutting cutting edge technologies in some areas have challenges here because the registration system looks like it was pulled from 1988 and it still looks like it's DOS type language. And for some reason it's okay because students only need to use it once or twice and as long as they get the courses they want, they don't care if that does create an accessibility concern those are situations in which I've, I've had first of all it would be great to upgrade that service or upgrade that software but if you can't do that in the short term again I think it's just a place where you can be thoughtful and so in registration materials that go out asking if individuals need a, any additional assistance because of an accessibility challenge is, is a helpful step to take it may be that they work with someone internally and institution to, to do that and they can still keep the same deadlines and restrictions so that they're not getting any unfair unfair advantage in registering for courses, but it is something that I'm hearing a lot about. The final question that I think I can try to answer here is about graduations, and and the the question came in to me through a text message, so not even through the the system, but the text message is, do you have any advice for graduation ceremonies or even individual school-type end-of-year ceremonies? You know, I think the biggest and best advice I can give here is it's kind of like, you have to think of it almost like a physical accessibility problem. So we always think about graduation ceremonies in terms of the physical access. You know, Will students be able to walk onto that stage with a mobility impairment? Will they be able to access X, Y, or Z with a hearing impairment or a visual impairment? I think the same rules apply here, except instead of thinking about the physical access of the stage, now we're thinking about what does your ceremony look like online? Can you do a test drive of that ceremony? Can you? see what challenges there that may exist. There are a lot of vendors out there that will help you, but I don't think you necessarily need them for this. It may just be a matter of doing a mock-up of your graduation ceremony or your school ceremony or your dissertation or your investigation and, and saying, how does this work? Are there any challenges? Does the sound work? Are we able to capture the video? Do we have real-time captioning or do we have some level of delay in that? Uh, those are the questions that, that I'm thinking about the top of my head. But there are many many more and I see it's one o'clock so I don't want to keep you any longer than this you probably have another really interesting meeting or webinar to go to Um, if there are any questions please feel free to ask me or reach out to me my information is right here and I will do my best to respond as as promptly as I can to you thank you for taking the time